What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? How are you doing? How are you doing? Welcome to another episode of Time Out, brought to you in part by OTS. As you know, I am your favorite neighborhood mediator slash host of many, many, many shows, but this is a show that is definitely one of my personal favorites because on this very show, we like to talk a bevy of serious cultural topics from racial injustice and police brutality and so much more. I mean, just a long list of different serious topics that really you probably don't hear enough of, or maybe you hear enough of, but you don't get the true facts behind it. So if you're new to this episode, if you're new to this show, thank you guys so much for joining us. Again, my name is Dwayne. I am joined by the two very awesome co-hosts of this show, Mr. Jonathan Torado and Mr. Derek Myers. And we are joined by a very special guest on this evening. So with that being said, I am going to, she, is, she really has a long resume in many <laughs> cases. So I did my best to make sure I could give as much as I could, you know what I mean, to try to give you guys a little insight of who this special guest is that we have on the show. However, anything that I fail to capture, she will gladly be able to highlight for you guys as well. So without further ado, allow me to just briefly tell you this woman is a math education advocate, Rockefeller Institute of Government fellow. She's a wife, she is a mother. And of course, as you know, that's not all. She is the former director of education at United. Uh, you know, I had kind of slipped it. See, I botched it already, but I had it. You know what I'm saying? Nonetheless, uh, actually, like I said, national policy director at Just Equations and so much, so much more. Like I said, this woman has a, a lot, a bevy of things that she does, a very long resume. So nonetheless, I'm actually going to pass this thing over to our very special guest of this evening, Miss Melody Baker. How are you doing, ma'am? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Derek, and thank you so much for having me on. It is uh, an absolute pleasure to be here, um, especially considering all of the very important topics that you all uh, speak about. I'm a big sports fan myself, so it's great to be on the show. Awesome, yeah. awesome, awesome, you know. Uh, so, of course, speaking of Derek, uh, Derek, Jonathan, guys, uh, of course, yeah, as Derek. you know. Yes. No, definitely. We get this all the time. <laughs> I apologize. I was reading the chat and talking at the same time, and I was responding to Derek, so my head triggered <laughs> Derek. It's all, all good. It's all good. No worries. No worries. <laughs> Sorry about that, Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Ms. Nothing. Like I said, we're all brand new here uh, to, 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 to this equation here. And like I said, these fellas have been writing uh, for a long time with me on this show. So uh, again, go ahead and um, tell the people, uh, well, you actually did, so I got to go to the co-hosts over here and let you guys talk to the people. Uh, Derek, Jonathan, how are y'all doing this week, man? Yeah, bro. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I'm doing all right, man. You know, I, I, I met Melody through Twitter, just like I met almost everyone I, I do anything with OTS with, right? Um, Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> the county executive out here, Mark Polencar, started a, a very important, something I've been screaming about on every podcast for Time Out, um, about getting police reform and, and kind of re reinventing the whole mindset of police, right? And and he, he posted about this uh, police reform and, you know, Melody, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, police reform and reinvention collaborative task force. 
Um, so it's it's the, the the idea, right, of reforming police and 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 seeing where they can make differences. Whether you know things I spoke of in the past of bringing in social workers to help with certain encounters, or you know, I'm sure Melody can speak on to what they're going to be looking into. But um, the minute I saw that, I'm like, wait. Uh, you know, it's funny, Melody, I saw you respond to his, That's it just popped up in my feed, right? So I think when you follow someone, you can see randomly that people respond. And, and when you were like, oh, I'm so excited to be part of him, like, I'm grabbing her for a podcast right now. I don't care what she says. If it takes a month to get her in, I don't care how busy she is, we're going to get her on a podcast. Um, so it's just, it was exciting, right? Because I'm. This, is, this affects me. This affects my home. This affects my people, you know, and, and the people I'm around and the people I, I love, right? So... Um, to see that, I was like, whoa, they're, they're doing something, you know, because we've yeah. waited for years. I mean, you know, we all as minorities have waited for years for something like this to, uh, to happen. So, uh, Melody, again, thank you for coming on and, and uh, I'm excited to get, get going with this conversation. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Likewise. Same here. You know, when, uh, when Colin Cards, when he selected me, I was thrilled. I've always been a huge proponent of police police reform. If you cannot tell, I am a very black um, woman. My husband is black. My children are black. Um, I have a son who's 6'3". Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, you have to tell, uh, you have to tell your kids, um, you know, have the talk with them, quote unquote, yeah. you know, basically only because of something, you know, seemingly as benign as the color of their skin. So, I mean, I personally have had some experiences that have been life-changing and traumatizing for all intent and purposes. Um, so I am, uh, I am thrilled to be a part of the change. I'm, I'm a protester. You all will see me out there protesting. Yes. <laughs> um, I mean, my kids were going to the, to the, wanted to walk to, to the grocery store one time during the summer. I gave them all signs and said, hold these up on your way there. Right. <laughs> Black Lives Matter, you right. know, yeah. police yeah. reform. Um, because I think that is just something so important until we do something, uh, until we actually make real moves to create some level of reform, um, nothing is going to be done. And unfortunately, uh, when you look at all of the, the, the worst and negative indicators, black and brown people are always at the bottom. Um, and it's, and, and it doesn't have to be that way. So, I mean, I'm all about, don't just talk about it, be about it. You know, a lot of people might say, well, you know, your background is in education. Honestly, that's where it starts. Um, at the end of the day, we know that uh, all of these pieces are intricately intertwined. Poverty, education, um, a high instance of involvement in the, in, uh, the criminal justice system, um, a system, you know, black and brown folks, you know, all of these pieces are, you know, you don't have one without the other. Of course. Right. Of course. Uh, Go ahead, Derek. Okay. Uh, let me ask you a quick question. Because um, I've always had a problem with the word reform. Mm. Um, I know what, what the idea behind it is, but what I've seen <laughs> every time someone talks about reform it doesn't it doesn't reflect what it is that we we actually want so mm -hmm. in my mind i i i more so see things as like a restructuring type of thing like almost having to like tear down the system down to the to the foundation mm -hmm. and rebuild from there to 
create a better structure. Um, is that something that that you guys are doing, or how how is how does reform uh, look to you? That's a great question, um, and I'm happy that you def I'm I'm happy that you challenged me on that particular word. Um, so I I you know reform is just a buzzword, um, but I do mm -hmm. certainly appreciate um, having to restructure uh, systems. Um, right. Uh, yeah, and part of restructuring them, I'm a firm believer in policy change. I'm a policy director, so I think that it certainly starts there. But yes, I do think that everything does need to be um, rethought, reimagined, restructured, essentially. Um, but so, so far, I am not for sure. Our first meeting is on September 30th. So this is a mandate by Governor Cuomo to um, put a task force into place to restructure, reform, um, the system because it's not working as it is. Right, right. Mm -hmm. right. And, and, and believe me, Derek, um, I mean, I think that I'm a great example. I, I mean, I'm educated, um, but that will never change the color of my skin. It oh, won't sure. change the color of my kid's skin. It um, certainly uh, did not matter when I was arrested for um, uh, a mistaken identity and taken to jail in front of my children. Um, yeah, so uh, as far as I'm concerned, something definitely needs to be done. It's not just, again, it's not just police reform. It has to you know, start with education. Um, education for me is always the greatest risk to those different experiences. For sure. Yeah, I, th I think everything has to be restructured it's because we all know this system was not designed for us or it, it's working the way it was meant to work mm -hmm. but it's not something that was ever designed for us to be able to thrive in right so that that part uh education is definitely definitely something that, that i see as a part of that especially for uh low income low income uh mm -hmm. areas um that that's something that that i think is huge um but I think like, I think part of that is like education for, for everyone has to, has to be redone. Like, it's just like, I'm at this point now where I'm just, I'm so frustrated now um, because, and I'm, I know you guys in New York have a lot of things, uh, have things, um, I think a little bit better than the way it is down here in the South, but I just, it's just like, it just seems like everything, well, I'll say this, your leadership is better than ours. <laughs> <laughs> your leadership is definitely better than ours. But I like, I just, I don't, um, I don't, I, I think I'm at this point now where I'm, I'm kind of, um, I guess just exhausted because I'm seeing the same things over and over again, hearing the same things over and over again from politicians, which you know it is what it is, <laughs> but I'm it's it's just it's just the same old thing, different day, and I think that's a part of um, the frustration that that I I feel because um, it's like you know 2020 now, a lot of the things that we a lot of these conversations that we were having 10 15 years ago is there's nothing that's evolved. Right. You know, so, I mean, do you, do you think, and I think all of you can kind of answer this at the same time, Derek. So we speak of, if we just knock it all down to start fresh, mm -hmm. that has to start 
going forward, right? Almost. You have to see it that way mm-hmm. um, because reform is kind of going a little bit backwards, but then going forward. Um, right. So it kind of goes to education, right? So it, our, sure. the next generation being educated correctly when it comes to history. I mean, sure. look at look at uh, the history books going from, from what, third grade on. Are they really telling the truth of what happened in this country? I mean, or are they hiding a lot of the revisionist history? Are they hiding a lot of the truth? Uh, Yes, because when we start to tell the truth, they're saying, you're just exaggerating. You don't know what you're talking about. It's like, no, 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 no. This is the truth. This is what happened. It's just, Mm -hmm. it was revised from what the truth actually was. So, um, and and Melody, I'll I'll ask you real quick. So uh, when it came to this task force, is it something you personally applied for that were you approached or a little bit of both? Um, um, yeah. It's a good question. No, I was actually appointed. I was recently appointed to uh, Governor Cuomo's Reimagining Education Advisory Council okay. as well. I've been heavily involved in uh, policy. Uh, I ran for Congress um, in December, uh, December of last year. Um, so I've been very much so involved in trying to create some level of real change, pushing uh pushing, pushing policy for all intent and purposes. But, you know, basically I've been on the ground, you know, hard at work, hard at work. Some people have heard my story. Um, like I shared a little bit earlier, I was pulled over on my way to church. My dad's a pastor. I was playing the keyboard or I played the piano for my dad. Um, so I, uh, just had a two week old baby and they didn't have a musician. So I had to get to church (laughs) (laughs) anyway. So, um, my, um, husband was actually, he was, uh, uh, studying the Sunday school lesson. So I was driving, um, long story short, I didn't even get off of my street. Um, I made the first right hand turn, I was pulled over, um, kids in the back, uh, seat, the guy really doesn't tell me anything that I did wrong. He tell, he asked my husband for his driver's license. My husband said, you don't need my driver's license. Um, and uh, and uh, he told my husband um, and I that if uh, he didn't give him his driver's license, he was taking us both to jail and taking my children to uh, Child Protective Services, CPS. Um, I got out of the car as he asked me to. Um, and basically put me in the back seat and he drove me off to jail. And at this point, I still have no idea. Um, come to find out, they were actually looking for a white woman. I guess they just assumed whoever committed that crime was black. Um, oh, fuck uh, oh, Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I, got to the, uh, I got to the holding center. Um, and because I had a two-week-old baby, um, and I mean, I was nursing, so my entire shirt, was completely wet because you know when you're have when you're when you have a a baby like the the milk just comes out because you're supposed to nurse every two weeks um so the guy as if i am not there he's looking all through the computer and he's like dude i can't find the officer he's like i can't find anything on her i can't find anything the other guy's like keep looking so and he's like dude there's nothing on her i can't find anything on her at all so the other officer says i don't care i'm taking her pictures anyways takes me into the back just mug shots, all of that. Um, and then because I didn't have a cell phone or anything with me, I live in Buffalo. I don't know how you guys have experienced the Buffalo winters. Now, mind you, the other thing is, so I didn't expect to go to jail on this particular day. Um, so I have a nursing baby. There's no bottles. There's nothing. Um, 
And then, of course, I'm so like upset about this, like being handcuffed to the bench, hear my kids scream out the window, they're taking mommy to jail, they're taking mommy to jail, it's awful. And then, um, uh, as I was, or once they said, you know, you're free to go, you can make a phone call here for someone, you know, you just can't stand to be there any longer. So I was so like, um, traumatized by the event that I walked in a Buffalo winter with a teeny tiny lambskin leather jacket and my shirt is wet so it's frozen until I could finally for miles and it's a Sunday morning until I could finally find uh, uh, someone with a phone so I can call someone to let them know where I am to pick me up. So needless to say, um, I have had my own personal experiences with um, why we need to create some level of restructuring, not even some level of restructuring, because I know for a fact that if I was a blonde haired blue eyed brunette, whatever, um, you know, on my way to church with church clothes on with a two week old in the back seat mm-hmm. of the car, I know for a fact that um, I, I, they would have double checked. They would have made sure they had the right person. Right. So, I mean, it was, it was, you know, it, I, my face, you know, they didn't stomp me, you know, like I've seen on videos, but I mean, it's just something about, you know, not being able to do anything. You know, my husband was completely demasculated um, just by not being able to do anything. And the officers was basically like, we are going to show you the fact that you um, asked to, uh, or said that you didn't need our driver's license. Um, or you don't need my driver's license. Well, you don't question authority, and that's a that's a that's a real issue, you know. Is that what kind of like inspired you to get into this work? That yes, um, and honestly, it took a while because I, I started doing a lot of research on police reform, and I mean, it's really um, it's 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 traumatizing. Like I'm like. Derek, like when you said you were exhausted, like it was a lot um, this year to watch the death of George Floyd. It was a lot to constantly see, you know, these unarmed um, Blacks um, basically killed for no other reason or shot for no other reason than um, basically being Black. You know, did you did you all hear that they found out that the twenty dollar bill uh, that George Floyd that was allegedly counterfeit it was actually real? I had, didn't see that. I had and, never. And you know what? We spoke on this in the first podcast we've ever done. This is when we started doing it around the George Floyd killing. And I don't care if he had a bag of counterfeit hundreds. Yeah. No cop is judge, jury, executioner. Period. Absolutely. We see many mass murderers walk to the car freely without a bruise in their face. And even then, I say they're not supposed to kill them if they give up. So, and we know that we know George gave up. Okay. Because I, I, we talked about this in the previous spot. There's videos showing all the way up to when they were beating the hell out of him in the back of the car for no reason when he's already in their cuff. So I don't want to hear nothing about a threat. Or what he what what he had on him, or the fact his previous history of whether any criminal history that doesn't matter. Their job is yeah. to de-escalate, which I think this speaks into the police reform, and and that's one of, probably one of the biggest things that needs to be taught or retaught within police. Um, they can't make things worse, right? They're going into situations just like yours, Melody, where where there's 
oh, I don't care what you say. I need the license. Well, I don't have to give it you. I know my rights. Well, yes, you do. Or I'm calling CPS. That's escalating the situation. You're threatening two people who are good people. I'm going to take your kids if you don't do what I say. Well, excuse me, officer, you're not end all be all. Nobody in this country is end all be all. Right. Nobody. But even, even people who, even if they are at the end of the day, even if they are responsible for whatever it is that they're, that they're, that they are accusing them of, you know, those individuals need their right, their day in court, you right. know, and that's a real issue that a black man can't even make it to the jail, you know, but here you have, you know, the Dylan Roofs who shot up an entire church and they give the guy a, a was it a cheeseburger? Right. Yeah. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, this, it was exhausting. I mean, I'm a strong person, but I've shed many tears just watching this. And not because, not because it hurt to see them, uh, see what they were going through. Because I mean, at this time, I'm numb to that. It's because we can't do anything about it. Because right. you have to sit there, you have to take it. That yeah. is what the issue is. Yeah. And yeah. Spe so speaking to, and uh, if, if you feel too personable, you don't have to really answer in full or whatever. Uh, you said you've spoken to your kids and had the conversation, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, have you gotten it? Like, how, how deep has that conversation gotten? Is it to the point where, so, you know, my dad being former law enforcement, he was in corrections, so it's a little different than... Uh, you know, in-person encounters on the street or anything. Um, but he literally broke it down to me like, you know, and mind you, and I talked to Derek and, and Dwayne about this, I'm Puerto Rican, I'm a, I'm a minority, uh, but I'm fair skinned, right? So I don't, I don't deal with the perceived skin color. And I say this in the most negative way possible. I can, I can walk by a white person, they never know the difference. Like that's right. not, I, it, that shouldn't be the case, first of all. That's but, yeah. Right. I should I should never have that mindset, but I've absolutely had it. Like I, I walk into an all white room and I'm like, all right, they're not looking at me weird. I'm good. Like I, sh <laughs> I yeah. for real though, like, yeah. and I feel like a lot, and, and I feel like Dwayne and Derek and, and Melody, you guys should speak to it. Sometimes going into a room dominant of white people, you sometimes you're like, Okay, I'm good. I'm good. I can walk by. Like I, I just you, you take a you take a deep breath and you you're you're almost worried because you don't know. You really don't. And, and in the summer, I'm dark. Like I get darker than what I am now. So like people see you a certain way, and, and it's simply and solely based off of the color of the, uh, your skin, and, and and it doesn't have to be the the the, the Karen that's calling nine one one or or anything like that. It's just the the general perception and the people that. I, the one thing I hate the most, and we spoke about it before, is um, I don't see color. It's like, no, no, no. no. Oh, God. Everybody yeah. sees color. That is, Come people, it, so I, I get the sentiment of where they're coming from. It's, I don't care that you're Black. I don't care that you're Puerto Rican in the sense that they care about you. But you're not seeing the reality in the sense you're d eliminating it, our culture right? Like, you're telling me I don't see color. No, I want you to, like, and Derek, you spoke to this, I mm -hmm. want you to see me. I yep. want you to see this color. I want you to see what I've been through because of this. Because right. it's deflecting. Right. It's deflecting. It's, a, it's another form of racism, and it, it, it's not as overt, obviously, KKK is overt, uh, right. in racist acts or, or things that we see. I mean, we've seen hangings recently down south, which is fucking it was, yeah. you know, horrible. And, um, you know, I think I hate percent. So uh, speaking to your your math stuff, so I don't like to give percentages on things you can't. They're not quantifiable, obviously. Um, but 
you say 95% of the, of the racist people in the world are the ones that just don't notice that they are. <laughs> I mean, it, that allow a lot of that stuff to happen. So right, it's that it's that implicit bias where they don't because they're not overt with it. Um, it, it, they, they don't believe it. As a matter of fact, um, some of the, even liberals, you know, I think Derek, you were talking, Derek, where are you located? You said you're in the South. Uh, Dwayne and I are both down here in Atlanta. Oh, okay. So you're in Atlanta. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, the thing about the South and the North is that, you know, there's this perception that the North is, uh, a bit more, um, racially, uh, less hostile, racially less incendiary. Um, but that's actually not the case. The right. thing is, is that the, you know, the North, they just didn't have the, the, the ability to, to have slaves like we have here. So mm -hmm. there are some real issues in the North. As a matter of fact, the most segregated school districts in the country are the ones uh, located in the most liberal states. And New York is, I believe New York might be number one. So uh, the, the North has some real serious issues. And I would almost go far as to say that uh, implicit bias, bias that you know people don't realize is there, um, is worse than overt bias, at least when you're yeah. over, yeah. At least when you're overtly biased, you know, I know where I stand, but it's those other people that don't realize it. I had a, a colleague who um, felt that she was, you know, very progressive and, you know, all these pieces and she had to have a reckoning with herself. And she said she didn't realize it, that when a black man got on the elevator with her and she clutched her purse, that she did that because he was black and it came to her attention because he looked at her and um you know just kind of shook his head and they were in city hall he was a he was a councilman he was a councilman yeah, so. yeah. you could be wearing a suit everything it, it, doesn't, it matter. doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Mm -mm. I, no. I i remember i remember being in target and i just went to go get a birthday card and there was a older white lady at the end of the aisle that had her purse in her cart and she had walked away from the cart as soon as I walk into the aisle, she walks over to it. We kind of push it. I looked at her and I said, I'm not, I'm not taking your purse. Like, <laughs> I'm not doing that. But Ain't nobody worried about you. <laughs> no one's worried about that. I couldn't care less. I'm just trying to get a card. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's that that's the thing that, that that's kind of irritating. Like, um, like and, and what you were asking um asking Melody earlier, Jonathan, um, about your sons. Like, um, with with their the conversation that you had to have with them about police how old are they so my oldest is 17 and then I have a 13 year old um and my kids are tall and it doesn't help that black people are perceived to be much bigger than what they actually are uh so my son he's 16 but he's so skinny he's 6'3 my daughter who's fifth or she's not even 15 yet she's 14 uh, she's five, ten and a half. She's a baller. She, she's <laughs> down on the floor. Okay, all right. I was going to ask who. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> had to be something. Someone <laughs> has to be playing. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, they all, they all do sports. Um, but yeah, I definitely had to have that conversation with them. As a matter of fact, I asked my husband the other day, uh, I was listening to Trevor Noah, and Trevor Noah said he, when he came to the States, he got pulled over about five or six times. Um, you know, the first year he was here. And he said, a white guy said, dude, I haven't been pulled over like in 15 years. And he said, no way. And <laughs> and I asked my husband, my husband said, oh yeah, I get pulled over once a month. 
And, uh, and then they, you know, once in a while, you know, they'll recognize who I am and then they'll just go ahead. I get pulled over about five times a year. Um, but then we talk to our, our colleagues, our white colleagues, just to find out that many of them haven't been pulled over in, since they were in high school, you know, since they were in early years in college. So, I mean, it's a real issue, but yeah, I absolutely have to tell my son, you know, what he has to do. I was, it was, you know, when most people celebrated, uh, celebrate milestones that their children achieve, I was, it was traumatic for, for, my, for my son to get his driver's license. I mean, yeah. as badly as I needed wow. him to drive himself, yeah. um, but it was, it was hard. Um, it still is hard. I have him on my Life 360. I track where he is all the time. Mm -hmm. And I hate that I have to tell him that he's different. The other day, someone uh, mentioned on something that I wrote that, you know, she has a real problem that number one, she sees herself as black. Why doesn't she, why doesn't she see herself as a United States citizen, a citizen? That is the reason that's what's wrong with us. We're also divided. I said, you know what? I would, I would love, I would absolutely, I, I would be thrilled to be looked at as a United States citizen. As a matter of fact, if I could identify when I wanted to, to be a white woman, I'd be thrilled. I would be over the moon so it's not me that has an issue with um uh being black or whatever it is it's the police it's right, right. you know my colleagues it's whenever i go inside of a, a boardroom and i have a a, a 23 year old um assistant or a, a, a americorps member or mm -hmm. basically someone who's who's like an intern or you know a shadow and we both go inside of the room and they think that she's the director you know, they think that she, they, they go to her and ask her for, you know, directions. And then I, of course, am assumed when I, I, I think I look a lot older than she does. She's 23. She dresses like a 23 year old. She, <laughs> she hasn't quite gotten her professional wardrobe together. She right. still wears club wear to work, um, <laughs> you know, which is whatever. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I'd love to be, see myself as a United States citizen. Um, when I travel around the country, I found out that United States is really the only state that, um, or the only country, one of the only countries who has such a great emphasis on color. And the reason why is, you know, if you really think about it is because, you know, if, if we all know that there's no real advantage educationally, not when it comes down to apples to apples, if we all know that there's no real advantages, you have to find out something that's going to benefit you and something again something as benign and as, as innocuous innocuous something as you know elementary what child would believe that a color would make that much of a difference but at the end of the day if that's all you have you know you're going to hold on to that you know with all you have because sure. black people brown people have proved time and time again that they can compete academically that they are you know better sometimes in, yeah. in certain areas, yeah. you know, that they are uh, scholars, you know, that they can do all of these things. So, you know, at the end of the day, you need something to be better than everybody else. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Now, so speaking on that, the education topic a little bit, we can get into that. Um, so my biggest thing for when it comes to underserved communities, right? So we have certain school districts, obviously the Buffalo school districts, and this kind of speaks to your Yahoo article as well, 
where you see a lot of or a lot of districts in general are under resourced, don't have the supplies needed, are underpaid when it comes to teachers and staff, um, which is obviously mo not a motivating factor for for anyone in that school, right? I mean, if I'm underpaid, under-resourced, and feel like I'm the one that has to put everything in to make my students succeed, I'm not going to be as motivated to help them do that. Um, right. A lot of minorities are not going to, therefore, be able to do a lot of what they want to do, like when it comes to virtual learning because of the COVID crisis. Uh, you know, it, you directly spoke about that in your article, that a lot of students don't have those laptops they can take home, like a Williamsville district or a Cleve Hill district or any of the schools, you know, around this area. Um, you guys wouldn't know too much about that, but um, yeah. we do, you know, right? The suburb areas that do have the resources and the money and the things like that. Um, have you, or do you know of any certain collaboratives or anything like that that are looking to get more resources into the city? So I know you work with Mayor Brown as well. Um, education will never get better until the resources are there to make it happen. <laughs> so uh, minorities will never have that chance, right? They, and you spoke to it that they will always find a way. Well, I'm sick of, I'm sick of minorities having to find the hardest way to be successful. Why, right. why can't, you know, why can't they be as successful as the next white person in the suburbs? Well, see, and that's, and you know, that is a big issue, but I mean, in America, it really goes back in the States, it really goes back to the redlining and the greenlining at the end of the day, creating these homogenous groups of tax bases that um, go to fund the schools. So at the end of the day, on average, um, wealthier suburban districts get $23 billion more than, um, than urban uh, black and brown districts, which is a huge issue. Um, but that's because it's, it's, it's how schools are funded. And again, you know, the, the way this system was set up, it was set up to create the haves and the have-nots. You know, if we go back to, to 1970, to the 70s, when the demographics began to change, um, uh, for colleges, that is, when more African-Americans, more immigrants, more um, Latinx um, folks, when they started accessing college, all of these quality controls came into play. So they surveyed um, all the math chairs in the entire country, and they said, should algebra be used to um, pass college? And let me tell you, 86% uh, of them said no. Um, in other words, 16%, only 16% of these people who absolutely love math said that it should be used to pass, um, to, pass to, to get a four-year degree out of college. Um, however, in the 70s, when those demographics began to change, that's one of the things that was put into place. Another big piece that a lot of people are not familiar with is all of these prerequisites. The amount of prerequisites when, um, when uh, Black people and Brown people started attending colleges, it doubled. Um, and the instance of getting into a prerequisite non-credited course, that's like a Math 97, Math 99. I don't know if you all have heard of it. Um, but if you are if you are enrolled in one of those courses, you have a 90% chance of not graduating. Um, that's a real statistic. And unfortunately, black and brown people are disproportionately put into those fundamental math courses that um, cost the same amount as regular courses, but you get zero credits for them. Um, and it essentially turns into a black hole. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that have happened historically, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that has created this extremely racist system. And we all know that without a, you know, a college degree, that really determines your tax base, your income, your income level. 
So at the end of the day, you know, uh, you're, if you are in a predominantly black um, or Hispanic neighborhood, you're going to be more likely in an overly policed community. Um, you're going to have far less resources. Your kids are going to go to schools that um, are lower performing school districts because they're supported by those homogenous tax bases. You know, all of these pieces. So when we talk about prison reform, it's not just about prison reform. Or I'm sorry, not prison reform, uh, restructuring. When we're talking about restructuring the, the criminal justice system, you know, it's really talking about, you know, breaking down these neighborhoods so that we are not incentivizing these homogenous tax bases. Those in, uh, the incentivizations is, has everything to do with, um, you know, these schools that are uh, uh, number one, you know, have these ranking systems. One of the things that I talked about in my article is really think, rethinking how we determine what is the best schools. You know, why are the best schools based on these particular rubrics that at the end of the day don't even tra translate into being prepared or ready for college? Why isn't part of the rubric, um, you know, diversity, a, a diverse uh, community? You have, you know, these homogenous tax bases, which is really code for wealthy white people who are gonna end up going to all the elite and selective schools who are going to be put in the only position to to potentially create this reform and you know this reform is not and has not ever done anything because at the end of the day if those folks who are going to be governing the world and making all of the changes for the world but they've never been a part of the world in a real sense there's nothing that they can do right 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 you're expecting right. people with with that not that mindset or not that background to know how, how are they going to help everyone? If they've never even been around everyone, right? Like they're stuck exactly. in their, they're stuck in their own little uh, community for, for, for worse, honestly. And, and, you know, I, I've spoken that so many times and that um, I, I think it just comes down to bringing in more resources and money and maybe just not having it be tax based, right? Maybe it's just, a government initiative or grant, or you'd speak probably no more on the specifics of that melody, but um, I don't, I think every school should get the same amount of resources needed. If, if anything, more resources for the larger amount of kids and larger amount of schools. Right. Um, you know, I, it's a scary thought and it's something that we do need to reform. And honestly, that's something, if anything needs to be totally ripped down and, and started all over again. Um, so I, I will ask you though, when when you speak of reform in school, so I don't, I think you're going to go kind of both ways on this, but when you speak of reform for education, um, do you think the general setup of education needs to be fixed in the sense that do you think a lot of students are just taught to memorize rather than learn, right? So a lot of the time when I went through school, so I, I was, I'm not, I'm not trying to pat my own back, but I was one of the more intelligent kids in school. And I felt like a lot of time it was just pressure to memorize that week's test or that right. month's um, uh, large test or, you know, sexual test, whatever you called it. Quiz. Quiz. Uh, yeah. A lot of the topics in school, I was never interested in, right? It's not something that I ever thought or knew I would be going into in my career. Mm -hmm. um, 
So where do you where do you think that can change? It can it change? I mean, we 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 do need some kind of grading system. I get that, but I feel like the pressure's there. So like growing up, again, I'm a Puerto Rican kid. My mom would like the minute I walked in, she you know she had the belt ready. What'd you get on the test? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I got a 95. It's fine. But I didn't learn anything, you know. So uh, you know that's besides the point. But uh, you know, do you think there's there's a way to change that, but also still give kids something to strive for, some some kind of results, right, where they they feel successful. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're talking to the right person because I'm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, one of the things we look into is how to better engage Black and Brown students. So, I mean, one of the things we look at is social justice math. But to go back to your original question, um, in the sense of uh, looking at um, looking at uh, whether or not students are really being taught to problem solve and really to develop creative thinking skills opposed to rote memorization. Unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of discourse on that particular topic because there's all of this pressure to teach to the test. Teaching to the test is definitely going to be rote memorization. It's going to be a much level lower thinking, lower level thinking. Um, uh, uh, instructional model unfortunately but that is you know what some that's that's how some people get to that proficiency piece um, a lot of your higher a lot of your uh, better your 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 uh, more quote-unquote quality schools they do not actually use the standardized test so a lot of these private schools um, that do develop people children and students who can uh, independently think they do teach them that creative problem-solving um, and then the other thing is, you know, education in so many ways can be, you know, restructured to make it far more meaningful. You know, I hate to say that there is, you know, intentional things that were done. I, I don't know any other way to explain it. But even when you think about math, um, uh, there is a tremendous amount of focus on teaching what is most complex opposed to what is most relevant. Um, honestly, at this point, all of the quote unquote unfinished learning um, that all of these students, uh, that all these students are experiencing, if we restructured math in a real way, the students could learn everything that they needed to learn in three months. But the problem is, is all of this focus and all of this math that doesn't matter. Um, just thinking about like the labor department, um, and if you compare what students are learning compared to how that um, prepares them for college or even their, their, their um, future careers, it's not there. Um, unfortunately, there's this race towards calculus, um, and it's just it's 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 something that has been proved to be uh, completely misaligned with colleges and careers. P uh, physicians, um, you have to have this high level of calculus and these high levels of math to be a, a physician, um, to be an engineer, to be an architect. And let me tell you, most of those um, careers. They don't use and they don't use trigonometry. They don't look at Pythagorean theorem. And these are some of the most these are the careers that you would think would have the most math, like being an architect, because we've advanced so much as a society that we no longer use any of those um, very archaic math uh, uh, math modes math math pieces. So what they're really being used as as a gatekeeper, opposed to being a gateway which is a problem. Math can 100% be restructured in a way to teach the most relevant material. And at the end of the day, some of the best scholars have said, 
what math really should focus on is advanced arithmetic. And we all know what arithmetic is, that's adding, subtraction, multiplication, um, um, exponents, you know, all of this, this, this other type of algebraic type math. And mind you, I'm getting a PhD in quantitative methods. So I'm not dissing math for, for any, term, any, any, any purposes. I am a, I'm a statistician um, by trade. So I have a great appreciation for math, but at the same time, it needs to be the right type of math. So then you have to ask yourself, well, if none of this math is relevant and you know, the only people who are using this math is astronauts, and even then, you know, we've advanced so much that a lot of that math is done by themselves, um, is, is done using these systems and these calculators. Why are we using it? We're using it to filter people out, unfortunately. And, you know, at the end of the day, the people who have access to the best tutors, to the most selective schools, um, they can be the ones who say, or those are the ones who say, well, you know, I've had all of this extra math because at the end of the day, you know, those are, we have to have some selection criteria. So it's, it's and that is what math equity is about. And the crazy thing is, is most, you don't hear about that. The only thing you hear about is literacy. But the, right. the true way to get into a lucrative career is to get into a STEM field, which means you have to be on that race to calculus. You have to have AP courses and advanced courses that at the end of the day are completely meaningless. Unless you might work for NASA. And let me tell you, there's not a lot of positions open for NASA. <laughs> yeah, no, you won't see that one indeed. No, no, no. So that's going to pop up. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, oh, go ahead, Derek. Well, see, one thing I w I'm I'm really uh, intrigued by is um, what what does it take to restructure education for students like like me? So like I was the type of student where I'm more I'm better when it's hands on learning. When when it comes to just sitting at at the desk, <laughs> watching the teacher write on the board all day and jotting down notes i my mind is already i'm i'm pretty much done like i <laughs> i went through college i didn't i didn't graduate because i just got i got burnt out with with homeschool six years prior and then when i got into college i was just i wasn't i wasn't ready for it i, I really wasn't ready because i was homeschooled so i wasn't ready for all of that but sitting behind a desk and just just doing the step-by-step -step thing not not actually being hands-on uh i found to be very boring right so like there are a lot of teachers that um i had maybe like i would say a handful of teachers from pre-k through college that were that stressed that um that hands-on type of learning I didn't have teachers uh, for the most part that that recognized how to actually do that. So what's what is what is the uh, way to actually get students like me involved with being uh, in, included with this restructure? Because there's a lot of of, of people like like me that are more uh, creative that don't care about <laughs> quite honestly don't care about learning all these like things that we're not going to utilize you know in our in our everyday lives so what's the what's the 
do you, is there a plan that you can see that helps students like that? Absolutely. You're talking to the choir. I have attention deficit disorder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is probably why, you know, people say, wow, you do a lot of stuff. No, it's what energizes me. It's actually what keeps me going. But actually opened a school. I founded uh, the first inquiry-based uh, charter school. Um, and it was usually, it was, it was exactly for that reason alone. It was really um, thinking in terms of how do children think, how do children learn? Um, and we actually got rid of all the textbooks. Um, and it was really that hands-on learning approach, problem solving, starting with a question. So, you know, if a, if a child was going to talk about density, we would give them, you know, an orange and maybe a can of pop and have them put inside of water to see which one would sink and then really, you know, develop a scientific theory on why, you know, they right. believe one sank opposed to the other. But you can absolutely engage students. I mean, if you can engage someone like me, when I tell you, <laughs> my, my sisters call me, they nickname me ADD. Like, I am legitimately... So in my office, I have um, my um, I have my treadmill because I've looked at ways to stay like engaged in the learning process, and sometimes yeah. I'm just too distracted. You know, I'll jump on the the treadmill, bring me back down to baseline, and you know, I'll keep going. But I mean, those are coping strategies that I had to develop over time because mm -hmm. I was definitely one of those kids who could have fallen through the cracks. I was always, you know, wanting to to, to, you know, touch things and, and I, you know, I, I do enjoy reading. So I do like mm -hmm. to read, um, mm -hmm. interesting books though. That's all I was about to say. It has to be something that can get engaging. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I feel like in the past there was such a stigma on ADD and, and students that had, uh, I wouldn't even call them learning disorders, but maybe learning hindrances, whatever you want to call them. Um, I just feel like they had more to unlock, right? So someone like you, you just, you, you need to do more. Like that's kind of like, I'm just always busy all the time. These guys can speak to it, but um, like there, there's just, there's something, there's a door in there that just needs to be opened up. Right. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to in the, in the, uh, was it inquiry charter school you, you mentioned? Yes. The charter school of inquiry. I opened it. We opened it. I'm a co-founder. We opened it in 2015, the first okay. inquiry based school in Western New York. Wow, but yeah, that's, that's essentially what it is. So, I mean, even kids with auditory processing disorder, the interesting thing is that uh, the way it shows up in a second grader, third grader, or fourth grader is like a learning disability. And what auditory processing is, is that maybe, you know, on one side of the brain, they're not getting the information, or maybe they're getting the information both at the same time. Um, and it's very difficult. So, you know, what you were saying, Derek, um, is that, you know, sometimes you, you know, you need to touch different things, and that might be a stimulus to help improve your learning process. So, I don't know if I actually have ADHD or if I have um, central auditory processing disorder. I would assume I had um, central auditory processing disorder, mm -hmm. even though I was identified as ADHD, because what processing disorder is, is that it's kind of like being in a new train station, like in DC or something, and you see all these different colors and lines and it's all this information all at one time. People who process information on the left side first, they can then take that and funnel it to where it needs to go. People like me who get it all at one time, it's so hard to untangle it and say, okay, this needs to go here. So you have to kind of like focus, like 
focus yourself. It takes a little bit to focus, you know, let me read through this and see exactly where I'm supposed to go. Cause I'm going to end up, you know, in Virginia and I'm supposed to be in Maryland. So, right, right. um, but what happens is once you learn those coping skills, by the, if a kid can make it, if the kid can make it and not be put in special ed, um, usually in the, around the fifth grade, it starts turning over. But by the time that kid is in the 10th grade, that kid is a genius because what happens is they've self-taught coping methods. Now they can funnel information um, twice as fast as anybody else can because they're get, picking up the information from both ends. So it's like being at a restaurant and hearing people talk around you and you're talking to the person and you can still decipher what the people are saying around you. That's like pretty incredible. But if you're not taught coping methods and if your brain doesn't get to that point to adjust, unfortunately, usually around the fourth grade, especially with boys, because you add that and the, 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 the excitement and the, you know, the, 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 you know, being all this fun stuff that, you know, boys are, tend to be more active than girls. Um, unfortunately, a lot, a lot of those extremely gifted kids um, they just say they've got a learning disability, mm -hmm. but if they can make it to the 10th grade, let me tell you, those are your astronauts. <laughs> it's the truth. Right. If they can get to that point and get those coping methods and get where they need to go, they can process information. It's like, it's being ambidextrous. You know, how much better is a basketball player who can, you know, do everything that they can with their left and uh, that they could with their right. They're, right. they're processing information from both ends. But as a child, same thing with ADHD. Um, if you don't get those coping methods together as a child, it shows up as behavior issues. Um, you know, it shows up as a learning disability, you know, all these different things. So, I mean, if, and if you're not in a system that can provide you the right level of support, um, it's very easy to fall through the cracks. And you know I was what? In special ed. Wow. <laughs> and you know what that that just makes me think and it goes back to the whole in regards to reform like how much of is our department of education failing us as a country right so if 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 that mindset existed amongst every district in our country imagine the bright minds that would be just put in our communities you know we'd be unlocking the guy who literally cures cancer we'd be unlocking uh the guy that can get us to Mars. We, you, you don't know. Like, I know it's, it's, it's millions of people you never know, but you, at the same time, you never know, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, just we're underserving so many people who could be that next genius, who could right. save the world, literally, right? I mean, <laughs> like, we don't know. So um, that's interesting. I, you know, I, I love that you have that, uh, that you co-founded that school. Um, I, I would love for that um mindset that 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 initiative to be pushed into our normal public education system and i feel like that's right. the biggest issue in our country um and i you know as we talked about a lot of different communities do have that luxury or do have the resources to do that um i just hope that can be pushed into all of our communities you know where the urban communities are and and the you know underserved minorities who just don't have the the backing or the resources or the money to make that happen um, where a lot of the time it's easy and we all know, like, at least in my family, sometimes they're, they're okay with people just saying your kid has a disorder, deal with it. You're not, not deal with it in a sense, but doctors will just say, you know, this is what they have. This is what you have to do. They're going to be special ed. They're going to be, that kid could be the smartest kid in this school. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. hearing hear from what you said is, is basically what you're saying, you know, by 10th grade, they're, 
they're the valedictorian almost. I mean, uh, it's it's a scary thought to see that so many. I mean, who who knows how many millions of kids in the past hundred years have been just labeled as something when they were much more than that. Um, and then talent gets wasted. Right. You find that my uh, one of the doctors that I work with, uh, who's an audiologist, uh, he said that typically the the kids who are um, have the auditory processing disorder, typically you don't even know. The way you know a kid has auditory processing disorder is that they can't do three steps at a time. So if you tell a kid, go upstairs, take your coat off, um, put your shoes in the closet, um, and then start your homework, they're gonna go upstairs, take take their coat off. They didn't get any. They didn't get any other information. So that's how you can tell that they have an auditory processing disorder. If they can't go beyond like two or three steps, if you say, when you get in there, make sure you finish your homework and then do the dishes, and then you can have a snack. You know, maybe they just heard the snack. And the unfortunate thing is that <laughs> unfortunate thing is, is that you assume that the kid doesn't listen. So in a in a classroom, it's like I told you to do A, B, C, and the third, and all you did was A. You know, and this kid, he can't say, I didn't hear you say it. You know, he, he just thinks that he's broken or, you know, he thinks that maybe he has a behavior issue too. So parents do that as well. Parents will say, you know, they get really upset with this particular kid. They say, he doesn't listen. I'm sure you've probably heard, them, heard people say, they don't listen. That kid don't listen. And it's not that. They were not able to get the rest of the information to get processed the the adequate way so i mean at the end of the day there's different abilities so i have stopped calling it disabilities and i've started calling it abilities because kids do genuinely learn different like if people had enough time and unfortunately our teachers you know are not compensated enough they're not you know they're usually they're in our in in america they're at the bottom of the totem pole in other countries like china and japan being a teacher is is much better than being a doctor that's it it, it is mm -hmm. um but here it's not the same so you really do need um teachers and systems set up to adequately support these children i mean i wasn't kidding when i told you i was in the lowest reading group you know all those different pieces it it took a while you know to you know, manage all the information. I was that kid that quote unquote didn't listen. So, I mean, you know, I, I finally figured it out, but if, if, if they can hold on, <laughs> not get, you know, and not get, you know, swept under the, uh, under the carpet, or if that kid has enough confidence and enough people and a support system in their lives, they can be really, really successful. Wow. Yeah, I That's agree. Amazing. So a lot of the, a lot of the uh, stuff that you're working on um, a lot of programs that you're working with it, that targets a lot of these things? So my focus is on policy. So I'm on the back end. So okay. I, I focus on policy. So I'm looking at the policies that um, are inequitable and I'm working with policy folks who can actually change those, change where we are. And part of how I do that is by my blogs. I'm working on another blog. I'm working on a book too, but I'm also full-time going to school trying to finish my um, PhD. So there's um, ADD. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it is, it is, I, it is true. I'm, I'm, hey, I do a lot of things. That's amazing. So, but yeah, that's, that's the work that I'm working on. But at the end of the day, I needed to find out what is going to have the greatest impact. Um, you know, working on the program level, when I worked at United Way, I disseminated a lot of funds and a lot of grants. 
Um, and then that's how I got into stats because I really wouldn't find statistically significant programs with evidence-based processes to make sure that those were the ones that would be funded. So that's when I became a statistician. Um, so now I'm in reform. So policy, I needed to find what gives me the biggest bang for my time. Um, and that's policy reform. I like that. Like so, you know, speaking on, on policy real quick, uh, so going back a little bit to the police task force or reform task force that you'll be a part of, um, being selected, are you coming in with that policy mindset? Because we all know police are all about their policies, their, their lack thereof, their, or, or maybe they're there and they're just never held, held accountable amongst or within those policies. Um, do you see yourself, so, so where... I know you guys haven't had any meetings yet and discussions, but where do you see yourself kind of, what's your angle, right? So where, how are you going to approach this, these meetings or, or speak to, I don't know if the, the county executive will be there or not, but whoever's within this board. Um, mm -hmm. And I have a separate question about the board as well, but um, do you think, so I, I've always had suggestions, right? The things I think would work within police reform, speaking to my father, speaking to a lot of his friends who were former law enforcement who are minorities. Um, and I'll speak to a quick story real quick, uh, not to go a little bit off topic, but I, I think uh, Dwayne and Derek, I told you about this. My dad was uh, a victim of, of almost the same situation as you, Melody, where he was targeted for driving his BMW while, while being a dark-skinned man, you know, a brown man. And, and um and the guy came in with cussing him out right away and where are you coming from what neighborhood are you from oh you're here to sell something blah 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 you know it's a suburb around around the buffalo area and uh the guy just was aggressive you know from, from the get and it's obviously due to the color of skin and um the minute my dad pulled his you know he has his badge still from when he retired totally fit the script you know, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. Oh, you should have told me. You should have told me. Why do I have to tell you? Or why should he, you know, why should he have told him? You know, the, the, the color is going to mean nothing. So we did, those are, there's so many stories like that I feel like we'll never know about because it didn't get as far because of, you know, my dad having a badge or another person having, you know, you yourself being part of the board and, you, you know, you being well-educated and, and things like that. Maybe they, they changed the, the, the perception right away. Um, but then there's the George Floyds that don't get to make it out. And, and, and uh, that's where we're tired of, right? So uh, there's no policy you can say, stop killing people, because that's just quite freaking obvious. Stop killing black people. I mean, it, it, that, <laughs> what else do we need to say besides stop killing people? You know what it I mean? It should be common sense. It's, it's, it should be common sense. And, and it's not. It's too prevalent within our community. And I'm sorry when, you know, the, the big, consistent, uh, opposing argument is well, you're talking about such a few amount of situations. It's like, no, these, one, one situation is more than enough. I've talked about this hundred, one death is one too many. Mm -hmm. Two, these are the situations we've heard about due to, due to cell phones. I've shown my phone before, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you guys remember that? <laughs> um, uh, but either way, you know, it, it, we're, we're, if not for social media, if not for, uh, you know, camera footage that is easily accessible, a lot of, a lot of these situations would have never come to light. Would we have Absolutely. Some people say, um, I can't believe how many more, uh, shootings or how, how much more police brutality is occurring. There's not more police brutality occurring. There's just being more police brutality being recorded. You know, it's, right. it's, it's more people have cameras. 
before, you know, nobody captured what, you know, what I went through. You know, nobody's, no, no one's seen that. No one's, no one's experienced that. And honestly, because I'm a woman, you know, that's the first time that I've ever been through that. However, you know, my husband, when, it, when, when, when the officer was asking me to get out of the car, my husband started freaking out a little bit. And he's like, don't get out of the car. Don't get out of the car. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? You know, nothing's going to happen. You know, I'm, I, I don't have issues with people usually. Um, I found out that day that I absolutely do have issues. I mean, but you know, you're, you're right, Jonathan. I don't have those issues anymore because, you know, a lot more people know me. I can, I can rattle off, you know, everybody's boss in a second. Like, don't get me started. And, and I swear, like, I'm the worst. I'm, you do not. <laughs> you know, do the wrong one. That's what my mom says all the time. You picked the wrong one today, mother. You got the wrong <laughs> one. I have way too much access to too much media to, yeah. you don't want this. No. Yeah. Right. Right. So I, I know I went off, again, I went off topic a little bit, but you know, speaking on, since you have such a bevy experience within policy, um, I think when we start to rebuild police, when we start to reform, we're going to go all the way back to training. I mean, we're going to, maybe training is longer. Maybe there are different methods within the trainings, right? You know, we're, we're teaching more or maybe going as far as putting those officers in the communities before they're ever a police officer that they're going to be in, right? I mean, there's, there's so many things you could think of that would probably work. Um, maybe policing. I mean, that, I mean, you asked a little bit earlier, you talked about, you know, yes, I'm going in there with a full agenda. I mean, one of the things I definitely, we definitely need to look at is re removing federal and state immunities that protect law enforcement officers um, from liability. You know, once you make these officers liable, um, they are far less likely to behave in this way. You know, some of the people, you know, they just can't help themselves. But, you know, if you start make, holding officers accountable, you know, that's that, that changes things. Um, community policing and, you know, really breaking up these... It's it's a it it there's a there's a lot that needs to be there that that needs to be done. But I, I want you to finish your statement. Uh, so I I think where I was going was community policing itself, right? So I think um, there have been and there has been a lot of. So I'm originally from New York City. So I and again my father was law enforcement there. So um, there were officers that were good. We the ones that. You know, it, it, going back as far as the Eric Garner case, right? He was selling Lucy's. That is, you know, you know what you do. And my dad has told me you do with a guy selling Lucy's in the street. You slap him up, you take a Lucy, and you walk away. <laughs> like you, you say, you say, yo, let me know when the real crime's happening, and I won't ever bother right. you. You know, that's the guy that you're 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 cool with, right? That's that's community right. policing. That's letting the guy with the super minor offense. I mean, come on. It's selling Lucy's. It's not that serious. Um, illegal, whatever, but not that serious. You know, and not not to the extent that they had to get as aggressive as they did, obviously. Um, my biggest issue, like I don't even want to talk about Lucy's when we have white collar crime and people get off on stealing billions of dollars from American people with right. probation. You know, right. no, it, it is, everybody talks about, you know, these very petty um, uh, infractions but at the end of the day, the people who are really making, you know, the real crimes that are truly hurting people are the, the white collar crimes. Right. I mean, so I don't even want to hear about, you know, in, you know, these small infractions until everybody gets looked at and viewed the same. 
Um, you know, you talk. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I. It has to be uh, equality. It has to be actual equality. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And so, do you? I mean, do you, so is that? I, I just and you don't. I guess you don't really know. We're gonna bring you back for as many podcasts as you ever want, you ever want to come back for. It. So, especially being that you're part of it, and you'll be in uh, you know a bunch of meetings regarding it. Um, are they ex- almost expecting you to come up with different suggestions and policies? So my biggest. So okay, and I talked to Derek and uh, Dwayne about this last podcast. I don't want pandering. So I don't want, hey, we made a nice task force. We have a diverse group of board. And then we never hear from every, anyone again. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want, you know, for the first time ever, and I spoke, this is the one thing I first mentioned. The first time ever at my place of work, I feel like I can talk about this stuff. I'm in, I'm in a very corporate kind of environment within my work. And that was never allowed. You know what I mean? Never. I mean, it's you're in HR like tomorrow. <laughs> like, so it, it's now they're sending emails out about unconscious bias and mm-hmm. where I do appreciate it. And they're, they are using minority voices to voice those thoughts and opinions more so facts. I, 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 I is it wrong of me to be a little hesitant to think that they're just, they're, maybe they're just pandering. I mean, are they just, are they in the moment? You know, we spoke about it with the NBA, right? Are they only allowing it because it's the hot topic? The NFL is the biggest goddamn culprit in the, in the, in the world, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, you, you blackballed a, a, a quarterback that should have been in the league four years ago and still continues to do it, okay? And the first thing you do is apologize and don't mention his name. Right. I mean, you're, you then, literally proved you're pandering. Okay, <laughs> okay what he was actually doing. Okay what he's doing. Oh, now yeah. you can kneel. Okay, that mind you, we all know there. they're paid yeah. to play the anthem in the first place. It ain't no. Yeah. It's not patriotic. I, I, I can go on chances for days. Yeah. Yeah. Besides <laughs> the point, we talk about this on all the sports podcasts, obviously. Yeah. But but we're starting to see the relevance of, of sports, and this is why we do what we do here at OTS. We, they're they're all connected. You know, a, a lot of minorities run sports like LeBron, uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick, and, and, and yeah. Cam, and I mean, what was it? this past Sunday, we had uh, our the first time ever 10 black quarterbacks faced each other on one Sunday. Like, we're taking over, baby. <laughs> Minority's taking over. That's what I'm saying. About time. Man. Hey, hey, but you know and it, it just, the fact that they've always been willing to step up, I mean, I feel like a lot of players kind of were hesitant to because of that corporate mindset. They didn't allow it. And now they're just suddenly popping up because of one of hundreds and hundreds of killings have happened we've known about these killings for a long time they did yeah i agree with you um however i do think that we have to start somewhere because i mean if you think about where we were 10 years ago they were not even here so do i believe that there is a tremendous amount of pandering absolutely i do believe that you know some of it is just lip service and people are just you know doing this to because it's a trend and you know it's it's you know everybody's doing it or to appease people However, I do believe that it is a start in the right direction. People are at least admitting it. Because, I mean, for how long have we heard that racism wasn't a real issue? I mean, I was so frustrated and so tired of hearing, oh, we had a black president. You know, it took us, you know, to where we are now to realize, wow, America has a race issue. Are you, <laughs> like, are, are, are you kidding me? 
Um, so I do think that, yeah, so there's going to be a lot of people that are pandering, but if you look where we are today, um, from where we were 10 years ago, a lot of people weren't even having this conversation. Do I think that um, there's going to be, you know, the change that I like to see, the world that I like to see my children grow up in, in my lifetime? I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, with some of these recent shootings of uh, armed black, unarmed black men, um, it certainly made me wonder, you know, can we ever reach that point um, where we can, uh, where we can um, really, you know, say that we have done our best to create an equitable society. Um, I'm hoping that we'll get there, but I do see some progress happen happening. Um, one, of the, one of the things that Jonathan said a little bit earlier, I think it was you, Jonathan, you talked about um, what progress has looked like. Um, progress on paper is not where we need to be, um, and especially if you look back, you know, from the 1950s to where we are now, um, there hasn't been enough change. However, there are more Black people who have been able to, um, you know, move socially, socially mobilize themselves, which is good. More brown people who've been able to socially mobilize. However, with, you know, I, I, again, it goes, it, for me, it definitely goes back to who's in office, the policies that are being made, and what type of education, what type of educational opportunities we're offering. Right. And I, I every every podcast, I scream, vote, vote, vote. And get out there and stop worrying about the, the, the press. Listen, it comes down to our local leaders. We know this. You know this, Melody, mm -hmm. Derek, Dwayne, that's what we talk about all the time. We need our city officials to be on board. If they're not, vote the right one in. We need our state officials to be on board. If they're not, vote them in. Because it starts, sadly, it starts at the state level because we all know the the – when the current executive branch ain't helping much. <laughs> Not right now, at least. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we we need the state and local levels to, to step up, right? We, we, you have to vote those people in. You got you got to use your right to vote and don't do it for just the popularity stuff. We, the, the, you need to notice that a lot of these people can't make change, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and these boards, like, you know, the task force that you're in, Melody, are going to be such a huge, huge difference um, you know, again, it's so, it's so new. I'm not sure. And I'm sure you're obviously like you spoke of, you're not sure where it's going to go. Um, I, I hope it's on the parenting side. So I, I I'm like cautiously optimistic. This is. I, 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 think, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't think that this is, I think that we are in a place where, um, some things have to be done. So when, what I was talking about more or less is on the corporate and the private level, okay. you know, there's going to be a certain amount of pandering that has to get done. But right. at the end of the day, when you're looking at your uh, customer base and your constituents, that's who you're going to cater to. So if you're catering to a wealthy white population, you're going to pander, you're going to say what needs to be said. But 10 years ago, that wasn't being said. However, as far as this board is concerned, um, I mean, I looked at the people on there, they are real deal. You know, they don't, they, 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 you know, they're very serious about creating some level of change. So, I mean, I've never been one to get involved in something that doesn't um, have some legs or it's not, I'm, I'm there. This is a volunteer board. All of this is free. <laughs> and I am, and I am not kidding you when I tell you I'm very busy. I, my workday starts at seven and it ends at seven a lot right. of oftentimes. So right. um, I'm not going to invest my time and energy in something to pander. Uh, this is something awesome. that I think that is important. Um, and I have a vested interest. Like I said, I got two black sons. Mm -hmm. You know, 
and yeah, and I, I, obviously, I know, I know that the board that's on it's going to be it has a good intent. I just hope, you know, what I was saying is, I hope that that whoever got that together, whether it's pulling cars or the mayor himself, like they're actually going to push the initiatives you're looking. So, There's pulling cars himself, okay? Yeah, it was pulling cars. It wasn't the mayor. And I okay. Mean, yeah. So I yeah. Okay. Well, that's that's good to know. Um, you know, it, Eric. You know, man, it's just it's sometimes you just want to like be optimistic, but sometimes you just see the continuous negativity out there and the constant killing of innocent people. You know, you just you, you tend to be pessimistic, right? It's, it's you that's almost it's almost like a survival tactic, right? Like to be able to keep moving forward, you almost have to just think, like, you know what, it's I, I'm just so you're not taken by surprise <laughs> you have to assume the worst before you see it and then when it's actually a lot better than what you, you thought it was going to be okay I, so right. i i understand where you're coming from yeah I, i'm 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 now i think i'm in that space now like the last few years has really just kind of like made me start looking at a lot of things um from a, go a governmental uh, perspective with that with that same mindset it's just like okay I, it, it but but like i said with you, with you the leadership that you all have in new york is a lot better than what we have here in georgia right like, well and and this is something i was going to mention actually melody what you're doing could be like the total test for the country i mean you right if you guys are successful and right. and truly creating change and we start to see a big difference due to that government support and everything you you all will be doing on the board mm -hmm. the world could change i mean seriously it, it seems crazy to say it but a local county sure. in buffalo could change the world you know uh, how many how many of these boards exist to this day I, i'm not sure and I, I didn't actually research to find out but um you guys could so I'm, I'm optimistic in the sense that i love that there's such diversity within the board right there's there's someone like you and, and, and you speak of the people that you you looked into and you saw that they were like you if not uh more motivated than you who knows you know and that that gives me optimism knowing that real people that are just like us are out there like you said boots on the ground ready to do the work and um that that will be the only difference made because we all know the past right we all know the norm of and no offense to whether it's governor cuomo or any other uh, uh state or local official this has been happening under your watch dude, where, where you're still speaking of, I want the change to happen. You could have done this 10 years ago. So I want people like Melody in there or, you know, her board to, to come in there and wake you up because you, you ain't been woken up 10 years ago since 10 years ago or more hundreds. I mean, hundreds of years ago, if you're going to get real with it. Um, yeah. So it, it's, it's encouraging. Um, I, I appreciate what you do. Uh, of course, we, we love that you came on for this, for this pod and, um but we love to keep having you on whenever you want uh and i was sure. actually i was actually pretty filtered today i hey, was pretty filtered today i did I, good. Hey, you you really you really good a couple f's almost came out uh, maybe like three it. or four but <laughs> i held it i held well, it doing this time i did it yeah, <laughs> but I, um, see that i i appreciate uh uh like you said melody of of someone like you um being on this type of board I think the smart move is to have people that are on that have your perspective that have a vested interest, like having two black sons, actually just having black kids in general, 
because it is it's just something that um means that we're going to have people that have our interests at heart right doing those things and if, right. if what you guys do in new york can can really take off i would love that <laughs> because <laughs> we need some change down here in georgia i'm <laughs> almost at a point where i don't even want kids anymore just because i don't even know what the future is going to hold so if you guys could, you know I, I i'm praying that you guys are able to spark that change that then needs to uh, take place here in America, um, and that would be great to see. So I'm I'm really rooting for you guys. I appreciate that. There are some models. I forget the one that I looked at. There are some models where they uh, did some restructuring, and it made a big difference. What they did was there was a huge crime. I want to say it was in Michigan, but don't quote me. I'd have to look at this. A long story short, they had a bunch of um, uh, black guys who were uh, shot and were unarmed and a bunch of different issues that they were finding. Um, so they quote unquote, I hate to use the word defund the police because people don't understand what that truly that means. <laughs> but they really invested into community um, police officers, community policing. But what ended up happening is that instead of taking all of these uh, black males off the street, these uh, these com community police officers really served to provide mentors to them. So um, these black kids, they were in other black kids' lives. And then kids started having fathers. I mean, that's, you know, one of the reasons why, you know, you have these high level of crime because, you know, you take your somebody's father away that's typically the disciplinary i'm not the, mm -hmm. di the disciplinary in my house i'm mm -hmm. so <laughs> so <laughs> and some moms are i'm just not that mom um well, however you were when i was i grew up in a very very strict household so i naturally rebelled <laughs> okay. okay okay fair enough fair enough <laughs> If my parents say do it this way, they say, you know, be super strict. I'm like, yeah, let's see, let's try something else. Let's, yeah. let's see was, what happens. That was me. Yeah. I'm the middle child, so I was like, I was told me to too. do this. Um, I think like the little like the devil was just there and then the angel just went away. <laughs> the devil just kept going and my mom hated me for a few years. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah. uh it was yeah. uh, I get it. My, my, my angel was on a lunch break for a long time. So I understand. <laughs> hey. I, was, I was a baby. So uh, this is the baby gets away with oh, everything. Yeah, I you got away with a lot. Yeah. Well, I didn't get away with anything. I'll tell you that. But, um, but you know, Dwayne, I know you want to close it out for everyone. But, um, you know, I, I'll just say straight off the bat, I don't need to drop where you can find me or anything like that. But um, Melody, Genuinely, genuinely, I hope you guys are extremely successful in what you do. You are literally going to save lives. We know, right? You're going to yeah. save lives. You're going to save lives. You're, you're going you're gonna to promote better lives. Uh, I, you spoke of things today I didn't even think we'd speak about in terms of the, the children that I, I never knew that had disabilities could be the one with the greatest ability. Ability. Uh, ability. Abilities. <laughs> abilities. Sorry. Um, you know, it, you are you and your board and, and everything you've done in your past and will continue to do are going to make a difference in this world. And people just like you are who we need. And, and I'm extremely excited uh, to have you a part of that. 
Hi. Thank you for coming on. Um, you are the 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 hands down best guest we've ever had on any podcast, and I'm sure you guys can speak to it. I can't even believe that. Um, and and, and I, listen, I will tell you this: Dwayne has had some WWE superstars on his podcast. I mean, like Hall of Famers, and you're a Hall of Famer. And sure. I need you to keep doing this for the the community and the country, uh, and honestly, the world. So I appreciate that you. Means a lot. Sure. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and Derek, oh, yeah. I don't know if you want to close Please. out with something. Oh no! Just uh, let everyone know where they can find you. Oh yeah! Um, please follow me on Twitter, Melody K Baker. I um, will be providing any updates about the task force, um, anything that we're doing, um, and then I write a lot, so I'll be releasing my um, more blogs, especially specifically on education and equity. Um, my next blog, I think, is going to be called the Black Pass, and it's oh. this it's this pass that. Um, White kids, unfortunately, beg black kids for so that they can say the N-word. We need to bring you back on to talk about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'll tell you, uh, you're busy. You might be more busy. Don't be telling us all this that, stuff. <laughs> that's, that's something. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. That's been a topic of combo. That's been a topic of combo. At some point. <laughs> Melody, before we let you go, actually, I do have a question to ask you really quickly uh, as someone who is very big on education. Um, as Jonathan and Derek, when, when you guys touched earlier on, the, you know, how broken the education system is, uh, what do you say to those that, you know, feel like, the you know especially with someone who has children who are incredibly you know tall and of course you know uh and involved in sports uh what do you say about the uh the mainstream audience that feels that because of how tall you are at a certain height that all of a sudden you know oh yeah you're an automatic athlete you're labeled an automatic athlete and striving to be in the nba or the nfl or you know, be this, this, you know, the, the, the typical formula of, oh yeah, go to college, be a one and done and head straight to the NBA so you can go get money and, and make money for your families. Uh, and to those who feel like this is literally all I have left uh, is my ability to play ball. So I'm going to use this uh, so that my mother and my father or my parents, you know, won't be living in this ghetto life anymore. Uh, what what do, what do you say to those? Uh, because we know LeBron James has his campaign of more than ath more than an athlete, uh, you know, where he literally is just showing like, hey, we're not just people who dribble a basketball or throw a football, but we're we have minds, you know, we're educated. Uh, but what do you what do you say to those uh, who flip and use their ability uh, to play ball? You know, uh, one of my most favorite episodes of The Fresh Prince, I think, is very underrated is the episode where Will uh, comes across a uh, neighborhood rival who also plays basketball just as great as he does. And he happens to have a kid and he literally tells him like, you know, he thinks like, I have to let you, you know, you, that's your meal ticket, you know what I'm saying? And, and your son gonna be good. And he's like, look, this is just a stepping stool for me. You know, he's like, you know, if, if I get, to the NBA with this, cool, but I'm using what's up here. I'm not using my ability to dribble a basketball, you know. So what do you what do you say uh, just to any athletes out there, aspiring athletes or anything, um, 
that kind of have that one mindset of, you know, this is all I got, so this is all I'm going to do. What do, you, what do you say to encourage that young boy or that young girl uh, to use beyond their talents? So you're definitely talking to the right person because I'm a coach to championships in three years. Um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so um, I have a special place in my heart for athletes. I was an athlete. Again, it really helped me come back to baseline, especially, you know, holding my attention. All of, all of those pieces work together. So mm -hmm. I'm, I am definitely a big fan of, of kids um, getting involved in, if it's not sports and some sort of a hobby, something um, because that really diversifies their um, uh, their intelligence. So this is what I say, because I, I hear a lot of people talking about, oh, they should just play, they should just bounce a ball. My oldest daughter, she got a full scholarship to the University of Alabama. Um, she, uh, she, she's a, she runs track. Um, and so what a lot of people would say to her is, oh, you know, you're an athlete or, or what they would say to the football players is, oh, you're, you know, you play football, you know, um, you don't have, and, and you're not as smart, quote unquote, as anybody else. But let me just tell you something. If anybody is, has ever been a real athlete that has had to train, there is so much um, discipline that goes into being an athlete, number one, um, especially if you play basketball, you have to learn plays. Um, if you run track, like my family does, you have to be able to measure where you are. I mean, there's so much math that is a part of that. But all of those pieces work together. If you are an athlete and you have gotten, you know, this far, whether you're a basketball player who is a A1 tournament guy on the, you know, on, on, the, on the streets, you know, that can do all of these things, the fact that you can actually... Um, do all of that stuff that has everything to do with discipline, determination, academia, skill set, intelligence. If you can do that, you can literally do anything. My kids are athletes because I'm trying to diversify their scholarship potential. Okay, I have four kids that I have to put to school, um, put into school. One already got a full already has a full scholarship, and she gets a a stipend. Um, so as, as, as far as I'm concerned, you know, whatever makes, you know, whatever makes you a viable candidate for college, that is what I care about. Now, what my kids have said to me before, they've said, because, you know, they play sports, um, uh, uh, gym teachers or one gym teacher, my son wasn't doing whatever it was that he's supposed to do in gym, gym. And the gym teacher said, don't you want to be like LeBron James? Let me tell you, my son came home so fast. He said, "Mom, we got another racist. Uh, we got another racist over at the school." Um, and the thing, the, the the reason was is because he assumed just because he played basketball, or just because he's athletic, he wants to be like LeBron James. No, he's trying to do whatever he can to be able to get as many opportunities into into college as possible. None of my children want to be professional athletes. Now, more power to you. And I mean, my, my oldest daughter, she was number three in the country. She's an All-American. My six-year-old, uh, my son, when he was eight, he's an All-American. He was sixth fastest in the country. Um, the, the, the Aspen Institute invited him down to Washington for the, the, the sports. It was something about um, sports institute getting kids to encourage other kids to be whatever it was. But the point is, is that your body only has so so many miles on it mm -hmm. at the end of the day your mind is endless so mm -hmm. you cannot for all intent purposes invest everything inside of your body if your body can do all of those things then your mind can do 
far more. Strongest I'm, muscle. Yeah, I'm constantly encouraging athletes and people who talk about, you know, athletes are not very smart. They, and or they don't deserve what they have. They work extremely hard. And while they're in college, they work like a full-time, it's a full-time job to be an athlete. And then they still have to study. Right. So, I mean, if you can memorize plays, if you can, you know, be out there on a regular basis, um, science tells us that you can create any habit you want. So, you know, people can do layups with their eyes closed. That's what I tell my girls when I'm coaching them. If you get the, if your muscle mechanics get down, you know, these different processes, you can do anything you, you want with your eyes closed because your body has memorized that. It's far more difficult to teach your body memorization than it is to teach your mind. So as far as I'm concerned, if your body can do it, your mind can do it two times better. I like that. That's amazing. amazing. That's amazing. And and this, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly <laughs> why we invited Miss Melody K. Baker on this very platform, on this very show. Ladies and gentlemen, I really don't, I don't know about y'all, but I truly enjoyed and got a lot of knowledge from this very episode. And this is exactly why we do this for you guys. So Miss Melody K. Baker, yet again, we thank you thank so, you. so much for everything you are doing, not just for the community, but soon for the nation, definitely, as well as the world, because one day at a time, one process at a time, this will definitely continue to happen and the fight continues. The marathon continues. Rest in peace, Mr. Nipsey Hussle, as they say, because this is definitely something we are working for. And uh, again, the show is definitely always open for you to come back and let us know how that progress is coming along, what updates are going on, so that way we can continue to educate those young minds, those older minds, every mind that needs that fuel to be fed to them on a show on a platform such as this. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, this is the time where we pretty much get ready to come to a close. So make sure that if, again, if this is your first time listening and watching on YouTube, make sure you are subscribing on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, and trust me, you will see episodes like this and so many other shows on this platform continue to update you and notify you so that you can watch and see what else we have going under the OTS brand. Make sure you leave those five stars and uh, leave a comment. Let us know who you are. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, same thing with you Spotifyians out there. If you're on Spotify, make sure you hit that follow button. Let us know that you're here. We appreciate every last one of you for taking the time to listen to us. Your voice matters. Our voice matters. And of course, as we say, Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, know, baby. Nonetheless. So uh, all being said, thank you guys so much for listening.